You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. A couple of our young men uh, putting some uh, litter, you know, on the streets of Granite Falls. Uh, Forrest, if, if you hear the police are trying to uh, find them, uh, I knew about it after the fact. It's Brandy's fault. She knew about it on the front end of it. Uh, but uh, they uh, put that together just to, you know, help us to kind of stay focused uh, on the themes of, uh, of Romans. Uh, we're launching out today on something that uh, at other churches I've pastored, I've done a lot in, in, in my life, and that is priestly books in the Bible. Um, we have never done this at Day 3 Church on Sunday morning before, so that makes me just a little bit apprehensive uh, because you're kind of used to, you know, one month to the next month or every couple of months uh, seeing like a, a change in, in the series uh, on it. Well, while we'll be in the same series in the book of Romans, there's all kinds of stuff and changes and in, in important doctrines and things like that that we'll be uh, that we'll be looking at. The name of the series is When in Rome. And I know you've probably heard that phrase before, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Uh, the way I want you to view that is this. When we are in the book of Romans, uh, we need to do as God instructs us, doctrinally and practically uh, in our lives. So uh, that's kind of the, the focus of, of the title. Um, Romans is probably if not the most important single book in the Bible. Uh, I'm not elevating it above the rest of the Bible to say that, you know, all the Bible is not important. But for us as believers, and a lot of times I think people look at Romans because we use the Romans road, you know, to witness to people and everything like that. Uh, We look at it as just an evangelistic tool. It is that. But that's not the primary reason the book of Romans, I think, was written. It was written to people who believed already in Christ so they might know why they believe what they believe. Uh, is probably one of the most important reasons why the, the book of Romans is written. And like I said, it's, it's one of the most important uh, books that, that you could study. Every believer uh, ought to know uh, truths out of the book of Romans. Um, we're just kind of this week and next week doing a little bit of an introduction because that's the way Paul starts out uh, this letter. He gives kind of some salutations. Uh, that's a fancy word for saying hi, you, you know, uh, some greetings and things like that. And then he also explains to them uh, while he's writing. But today, uh, in just a moment, uh, we're just going to look at verse 1 through 7 because there's some really important stuff in the salutations, uh, in the greeting that Paul uh, writes about. Uh, before we do that, I want to kind of give you an, an, an overview uh, of Romans itself, though. And we won't do this every week, but I, I think you need to get a little bit of a big picture uh, from the book of Romans. Just to emphasize uh, how important it's been in history, I, I cannot stand here and tell you how God has used the book of Romans, uh, all the ways that he has. But uh, just to give you a few examples of it, St. Augustine, some of you may have heard that name before, one of the early church fathers, uh, he was converted to Christ by reading uh, the book of Romans. Uh, Martin Luther, who launched the Reformation uh, for the Protestant church, uh, God illuminated a verse of Scripture to his heart found in Romans chapter 1 in verse 17 where it tells us the just shall live by 
faith. And it's like God just illuminated that in his heart. And that caused uh, him to, uh, to, to step out and show how big grace is. And, uh, and that ought to be our, our focus, how we are saved by faith. It's not by works or anything that, uh, uh, that we do. So it was really important in, in launching the Reformation. Um, John Wesley uh, was converted to Christ just by hearing somebody read from the commentary on Romans that Martin Luther uh, wrote. So just, you know, important stuff. Here, here's some themes, though, uh, from it, just to kind of help you see uh, the important themes that we'll be dealing with in this book. And, and I'm going to tell you, we'll probably be here uh, for a while, like I said. But uh, this book tells us that we are, are sinners before God. Now, someone might say, well, that's a bummer. That's something that I already uh, know, that you'd already figured out. But, uh, you know, it moves from there to tell us that our salvation is provided by God through Jesus Christ. Uh, this book also talks about sanctification. And sanctification really has two parts. It's like when God saves you, he sets you apart to himself and you belong to him. But he's also doing a process of sanctification in our lives to where he wants to make us more and more and more like himself, more and more like Jesus. Uh, this book will also talk about the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is a sovereign God. And then it kind of finishes up telling us this, because of all those other things are true, we're sinners that are saved by grace and uh, you know God sets us aside to himself and he's a sovereign God because of all those things this book kind of wraps up by telling us we ought to serve him Uh, so there's a lot of important stuff a lot of big themes uh, that we'll be looking at as we go uh, through this book of Romans Uh, it has a lot of different types of truth that we need to uh, you know be aware of also Uh, the, the book of Romans gives us to begin with it gives us doctrinal truth uh next slide please uh, I've already, okay. Uh, doctrinal truths uh, like justification, sanctification, uh, adoption, uh, judgment, identification with Christ, service uh, to Christ. There's some doctrinal truths. It also presents this kind of truth. Not just doctrinal truths, but it gives us eternal truth that affects the very everlasting destination of our souls. Uh, another type of truth that we find in the book of Romans is this, dispensational truth. In other words, God uh, lets us know the, the relation kind of between the church and Israel. And he also lets us know that he's not done with Israel uh, on that. So we get some dispensational truth. Uh, in this book, we also get some practical truth uh, concerning how you and I, as Christians, can have victory over the flesh or over temptation. Uh, just to give you a little bit of precursor to that, uh, we're told in Romans chapter 6, we're to consider ourselves dead to sin. So if, if I'm a corpse, corpses don't run around sinning all the time. We need to think about that every time we're tempted. No, I'm dead to sin because of what Jesus has done for us. And then we also get this type of truth, some relational truth in the book of Romans, not only how we can relate to God and have a relationship with him. But Romans tells us how we ought to relate to each other as believers and also how we ought to relate to government and, uh, and things like that. So there's a lot of different types of truth that the book of Romans uh, will give us. The main theme uh, for the book of Romans is this, the righteousness of God. The righteousness uh, of God is the basic theme. Uh, the word righteous appears uh, over 40 times in, in the book of Romans. Uh, and it deals 
fills with righteousness along these lines also. Like I said, I'm just trying to give you a big picture of Romans right now. But uh, chapters 1 through 3, we find out we've got a need for righteousness. In chapters 3 through 8, we find out that there's God's provision of righteousness, and it comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, chapters 9 through 11 uh, deals with rejected righteousness and how the nation of Israel kind of rejected God's plan for them. And then chapters 12 through 16 deals with righteousness lived out in our daily practice, how we ought to live out God's righteousness in our, in our lives. So I hope you're getting a little bit of a big picture of how important this book uh, really, uh, really is. Uh, as far as the position in the Bible, I, I came across something as I was studying this week that I don't know I've ever seen before that blessed me, and I hope it'll be important to you. But in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we're told this. All Scripture, talking about you know, the Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable or useful for, and then we're told it's good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Well, look how the Holy Spirit positioned the epistles in the New Testament. Number one, the first epistle is the book of Romans. It deals with what? Doctrine. After that, you have reproof where the Apostle Paul is correcting the Corinth church for some sin and things that was going on there that did not need to take place. So you've got reproof second in line in those next two epistles. In Galatians, he's doing some corrective teaching against false teaching. So right there, it's just in a pattern the way the Holy Spirit laid this out. You've got doctrine, reproof, correction. And then from Ephesians on in his other epistles, you have instruction about righteous living and how to live for him. Uh, so it's just like, you know, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, all the Bible's for this, and then the way the New Testament is laid out is literally following that pattern. And, you know, when I find stuff like that, it just makes me think, wow, God, you know, you know how big you are, how, how grand you are, how you package, you know, this stuff together in such a great way uh, for, uh, for us. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump over the background and just get on down uh, into uh, what we're really talking about today. Like I said, the, the theme of the series is uh, when in Rome. You know, we need to do as the book of Romans desires uh, us to do, doctrinally and practically uh, in our lives. Today, uh, we're just talking about this greeting, this salutation that Paul gives us. Uh, a lot of times, you might read over something like these first seven verses in reading through a book in the Bible and think, well, yeah, Paul wrote to him and he said, all right, this is me, Paul, writing. Hey, how you doing? You know, and things like that. And, and not slow down and realize how much important stuff can even be in just a little simple greeting. And what we're going to really look at today is this. As we look at this salutation and what Paul writes in verse 1 through 7, what kind of spoke to my life was, was this thought. Paul gives us some greetings from a focused life. Paul, Paul tells us what his life is focused about, what his life is built around, what he sees uh, his life to be about, what, how he views his identity. Uh, and, and it's all tied up in these verses. So really before I read those verses, I, I kind of want to ask you that question. How do you view your life? What's the focus of your life? I mean, really, what is your life all about? What are you spending your time in your energies and in your finances and your talents and things like that? What is your life about? What's the focus of your life? Because Paul is going to tell us some things here about what his life was focused around that I think could communicate to us or should communicate to us that just maybe our lives ought to be focused around the same type of stuff. Look at what he writes here in verses 1 through 7. Paul 
a servant of Christ Jesus. Now I'm just going to read this and then we're going to take time and break it all down the rest of the service. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here, I think, writes a lot about the focus of his life. As he writes these words, it was customary in that day and time to tell, to kind of sign the letter on the front end instead of the back end. You know, we'll write a letter and we'll sign it on the end, you know, sincerely yours. Paul starts out on the front end and he's letting them know, that he's the one that's writing, inspired of God. It's, you know, it's not just Paul. God's guiding this. And he tells us some very important stuff about his focus in life and how he identifies himself. I want you to notice something. Paul was a citizen of Rome. In that day and time, that would kind of be like being a citizen of the United States. Because it was like Rome was the greatest empire of that day. But Paul, as he writes this letter, Paul doesn't write it and say this, I'm Paul, a citizen of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. He doesn't start this letter out saying, I'm Paul, a citizen of Rome. Instead, what Paul does is this. He says, I'm the apostle Paul. And here's how I see myself. And here's the focus of my life. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've been given a message to share with the nations. That's how he views his life. And I'm just going to submit to you, if the apostle Paul viewed his life like that, you and I ought to view our lives in the same way. If you know Christ as your Savior, the focus of your life ought to be that you're a servant of Jesus Christ, a representative of Jesus Christ, that you are someone that has this mission to carry the gospel message to the nations of this world. That's the way Paul viewed himself. Now, I fully recognize, you know, this week we are, are celebrating on Wednesday, uh, you know, our uh, Independence Day, you know, America's birthday, and, and, and all of our patriotic feelings. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. We ought to be patriotic. Amen? We, we ought to be, you know, I, I, I would like for us to be able to be prouder of our, of our nation than maybe we are right now uh, and everything. But we ought to have these patriotic feelings. But here's what I want to submit to you. Instead of you focusing upon your life, saying, I'm an American. The greatest of your focused life should not be that you're an American, but that you're a Christian. The, 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 the focus of your life should not be, if you know Christ as your Savior, it should not be, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Instead, you ought to view yourself as a citizen of heaven rather than just saying, I'm I'm a citizen of, 
of the United States. So what's your focus? What, what is the focus of your life? Let's see if we can learn some things from Paul's focus that ought to affect our focus in life. First of all, Paul lets us know he was focused as a servant of Christ. The Bible said there, Paul was writing, he said, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's how he views himself. He views himself as being a, a servant of Christ. And if Paul would do that, just maybe as I've already said, we ought to view ourselves as Christians in, in the same way. So look at, look at about three things, three phrases that he says there in, in, in verse 1. First of all, Paul says that he's a servant of Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul's name was not always Paul. You know that? Huh? What his name used to be? Saul. You know what Saul used to be like? I mean, he was a very religious person, and he actually thought by being very religious, he was serving God. And he thought, these bunch of crazy Christians, they, you know, they're going against God, and Jesus Christ isn't real, and, and I'm going to you know, serve God by helping to round all these Christians up. And he stood there, and he consented to Stephen being stoned, and, and then he kind of went on his own you know, like witch hunt, and, he, and he's out you know, chasing Christians around and getting them up and taking them in to be tried and put in prison and persecuted and killed and everything like that. That's what Saul's life was about. But then one day, as he was on the road to Damascus, taking Christians to be persecuted, guess what happens? He has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. When he has this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, now someone's probably thinking, oh, but I thought Jesus was crucified and buried. He was. He took his life back up. He's still alive today. We'll talk about that more later on in the message today. But he sees Jesus Christ, and it changes his life. So a couple things there. One, a little bit of word of encouragement for someone here that might be thinking, Preacher, I, I, I can't really be a servant of Jesus. You don't know about my life. You don't know the things I've done and everything else. Well, I know the Apostle Paul was out being sure that Christians were being arrested and Christians were being murdered. And he meets Jesus and Jesus changes his life. And if God will do that for the Apostle Paul, God can do that for you. You can be a servant of Jesus. That was the focus of Paul's life. He had his life changed, and he, became a, he becomes a servant of Jesus Christ. That's how he, he views himself. He, he wasn't viewing himself upon, uh, look at my spiritual pedigree. Look that I'm a Jew among Jews. Look how much scripture I can quote, or anything like that. He says this, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And, and that's how you and I need to view ourselves. The, the word servant in the Greek is the Greek word doulos. And it means a particular type of servant. It talks about a servant who is a bond slave or a bond servant. Now, now here's the, the distinctiveness of that. A, a bond servant is someone who had been a slave. Now, he could be set free. But of his own volitional will, of his own choosing, he loves his master so much, he decides he's going to stay a slave of his master for the rest of his life. That's a picture of what Paul is saying about himself. He said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's what my life is about. He's my master. I'm going to serve him the rest of my days. And that's the way you and I ought to view ourselves. We ought to view ourselves as though we are are bound to Jesus Christ, as though we are voluntary slaves to him. We've chosen that we're going to serve him. Some scriptures that talk about the importance of, of being a servant. We need to look at because you see, I, I'm afraid a lot of times I've been around church people for a lot of years. You know, some of you have too, huh? You know what we tend to do a lot of times? 
we get a little bit prideful about who we think we are. You know? Well, I can do this. I can teach really good. I can sing really good. I, you know, all, all this stuff. We, we tend to get really prideful. And we're kind of wanting to exalt ourselves. See, Jesus had some of his disciples wanting to do that too. You know, which among us is going to be the greatest? Here's what Jesus told them. He said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. If you want to be great, you're not great by magnifying yourself. You're great by, by serving Jesus and serving others. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he said, here's the deal with that. If Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, views himself as coming as a servant, just maybe that ought to be our focus. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. Have this mind among yourselves. Here's the way you ought to think about yourself. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus, God in the flesh, did not count equality with God something to hold on to or grasp, but made himself nothing, taken on the form of a servant. What was the focus of Paul's life, a servant? What was the focus of Jesus' life when he came here the first time to be a servant? So if we're going to have the right focus in our lives, and we read this salutation, this greeting that the Apostle Paul gives us at the very beginning of the letter of Romans, he tells us that his life is focused around being a servant of Jesus Christ. He also said this. He said, I'm called to be an apostle. I want you really to focus on that word called. In other words, Paul's not an apostle of Jesus because he deserved to be. He's not an apostle of Jesus Christ because he earned it. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ simply by the very grace of God because God extended that call to him. God called him to be his ambassador. God called him to be an apostle. And you see, you and I, none of us are worthy to represent Jesus. None of us are worthy to be his servants. None of us are worthy to, to be what this word means. The word means a delegate, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's what the word apostle means. It means we're to represent Jesus and his gospel. The, the word literally means one that is, that is sent. The root word means to set apart and to send out. So see, if you know Christ is your Savior, here's what God's done. God has taken you out of your sin, and he set you apart to himself. But he didn't set you apart to himself just so you can come and sit in a chair on Sunday morning. He set you apart to himself so he can send you out to impact the world around you. That ought to be the focus of our life. That was the focus that that Paul had. He viewed himself as being a a representative and an ambassador of Jesus, and he said that he was set apart for the gospel of God. The word set apart, that, that phrase, means to set off by a boundary, to limit, to exclude, to, to separate or, or sever. And he said that I'm set apart. Paul's talking about his own life. I've been set apart to the gospel, the good message, the good news, to share the good news, to, to share the gospel. And, and it's a gospel of God, which literally means the, the, the word God means the supreme divinity. I mean, he's the one that made it all. He's the one that's in charge, you know. He, he's the creator God of all the universe. Paul said, I've been set apart. I've been severed. I've been bordered off. I've been, uh, God set a boundary on my life. He's limited my life that my life needs to be someone that, 
that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would you rather your life be about? We're, we're talking about the focus of, of Paul's life and what ought to be the focus of our life. What would you want your life to be about? Paul said he's set apart to the gospel of the supreme God. All-powerful God. How do you view your life? What is your life? I mean, I understand, you know, you have careers and jobs and things like that, but is, is that really enough? Do you want your life just to be about you represent this company or you represent this product or you're or, or you selling this product? Is that really what you want your life to be remembered for? Now, I understand you may do that for your vocation, but I, I'm just trying to kind of give you an argument that even though you do that for your vocation, maybe that's not really who you are and what your life is about. That there ought to be a, a higher value, a higher purpose, a higher focus in, in your life than just saying, well, I, I, I work this for a living. We're in uh, election season. And uh, I don't tell people who to vote for or anything like that. If you're going to come here this election season, expect me to tell you who to vote for. I will not. I will tell you sometimes right and wrong based on what the Bible has to say about principles and things like that because that's the Bible. That's not being political. But, you know, right now a lot of people are getting all, you know, you know ready and, and trying to get energetic if they can, you know, uh, about the election coming up and, and everything like that. And some people view themselves, you know, their identity is, well, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or I'm part of the Tea Party or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, independent or whatever the case is. And that's like the, the focus of their life. Guys, I, I'm sorry, that's not enough for me. I've been disappointed by politicians too often. I don't want that to be the focus of my life. Some of you can't wait for football season to come around. John's back there. John Howard, he, he, he'll show up with Panther apparel all the time. He's back there shaking his head. You're going to get yourself in trouble here in a minute. Because honest, is that enough? Because people, people get fired up and energetic about their sports teams or their sports heroes and everything, you know, like that. And, and you know, go dressed up crazy and paint their potties crazy and go there and sit in the cold and, and everything else. I mean, all that's fine. I mean, I, I enjoy my sports teams too, but I, I don't think I want that to be the focus of my life. Paul tells us that, that he was set apart to the gospel. He, he was set apart to the gospel of God. Who better to represent than Jesus Christ? Who better to spend our life serving than God himself? We've got the good news of Jesus that we can share with a lost and dying world. That's what our lives need to be focused upon as believers. So Paul starts out in this greeting here, and he tells us he's got a focused life, and he's focused as a servant of Jesus. But he also, I think, tells us he's, he's got a focused life because of the deity of Jesus, because of the deity of Christ. Look what he writes here in verse 2 through 4. Which he promised, he's just talking about Jesus, which he promised, talking about the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. 
In other words, what Paul is writing is this. God had told us about the gospel. God had, had written through the prophets and everything that Jesus would come and Jesus would die. All of it's there in the Bible. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I think in those verses, we can discover a little bit why Paul had a focused life in serving Jesus. Why Paul viewed himself as a servant. Why Paul said, my life is going to be a life of being an ambassador for Jesus Christ, sharing the message of Jesus, sharing the gospel of God. See, Paul is fully convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. He's fully convinced that Jesus is the Messiah that had been foretold in the Scriptures. He's absolutely convinced that Jesus is who he's supposed to be because Jesus, when they nailed him to a cross and they put him in a tomb, did not stay dead, but he took his life back up. And that fully convinces the Apostle Paul that Jesus, you remember Paul met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's fully convinced in the deity of Christ. Let me give you a quote here by, by Martin Luther. He said this, because you see God promised the gospel, like I said, through in his son coming through the prophets. Here's what Martin Luther wrote about that. Here the door is thrown open wide for the understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Now what Martin Luther is saying is this. If you want to understand the Bible, you need to understand this. Here the door is thrown open wide for the understanding of the Holy Scriptures. That is that everything must be understood in relation to Christ, especially in the case of prophecy. You understand what Martin Luther just said? If you want to figure out the Bible, you have to know who Jesus is. If you want to understand the Bible, you have to read all the Bible in light of who Jesus is. So to kind of help us do that, we're going to talk about two aspects of Jesus' nature that, that Paul wrote about. Paul wrote about his birth kind or his humanity, but, but he also writes about his resurrection. Let's look at what Paul said about the, the birth of the humanity of, of Jesus. A moment ago, he said, which was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. The, the word for descended, or in some translations, made, I kind of like the translation where it says made, means this, to cause to be or to become. Now, the reason I want to stress that, I don't want you to get your doctrine off. Do not think that Jesus had his beginning in Bethlehem. That's what I'm saying. Because Jesus had always existed. Jesus was made of the seed of David. That was not his beginning. He was eternal God in eternity past. But then it came time for him to come into this world as the Messiah. And he is made or caused to be or caused to become a descendant of David. Now the reason that is important is this. The Bible told us through the prophets that Jesus Christ the Messiah would be a son of David in the flesh. You know why that's important? Why it's important that Jesus is the God-man? Because that tells us that Jesus can be our perfect substitute. Jesus can be the only one that is our mediator between us and holy God. Because he comes as God in the flesh 
And there, he's the only person that can be the sacrifice once and for all, sacrifice for our sins. That's why it's important that we understand he's the God-man. He's God and flesh. He, He is made as a descendant of David. He's our mediator. Hebrews tells us this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Now, see, that's kind of what Paul's writing about in Romans. He's given us stuff that helps us to hold to our faith, helps us to hold to what we believe, our confession. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the encouragement of knowing God became man as our high priest and as our perfect sacrifice because Jesus understands everything that you face in your life. Jesus has been tempted just like you and I are tempted. He faced temptation yet without sin. So as a result of that, the Bible goes on there and tells us this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What gives us the encouragement to draw near the holy throne of God? It's this, God became man, went to the cross as the only sacrifice we could have for our sin. So as He talks about the deity of Christ. As Paul's writing, saying that he had a focused life because of the deity of Jesus. It it involves the birth of Jesus, but more than than the birth of Jesus and, and that fulfilling the prophets. He also writes about the resurrection of Jesus. Not only because Jesus was born as he's supposed to be born, virgin born of the seed of David in Bethlehem. Look what else happened. Paul writes this, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. What should convince us beyond any doubt that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh, that Jesus is, in fact, deity, is this. He took His life back up after giving his life on the cross for us. Let me do a little word study here to help clarify that. The the word for declared means to mark out or bound or to appoint or decree or to declare, to limit, to ordain. The root word means to, to set a boundary line up. The word power is the same word that we get our word dynamite or dynamo or dynamic from. It means force or miraculous power. Resurrection means a literal standing up again from the dead. You see, liberal theologians want to tell stories like, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die, that he, you know, he just kind of fell asleep, and they put him in a tomb, and the coolness of the tomb kind of woke him back up, and people just thought he, he came back from the dead. Well, the Bible tells us he cried out with a loud voice, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit, and then just to be sure he's dead, they come through, and they stick a spear through his heart. All right? That sounds pretty dead to me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ marks him out to be deity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ appoints, decrees, declares that Jesus, in fact, is God in the flesh. 
Jesus taking his life back up, it's like it, it limits him to being no one else but the Son of God, the Messiah that would come. The, the root word that is built from a boundary line. You know what a boundary line is. People will go out and mark off their territory and, you know, have it surveyed. And then they'll put signs up, no trespassing. Think about it like this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is like a no trespassing sign put up that says, no one allowed except the Son of God. And because Jesus took his life back up, he proves that he is, in fact, the Son of God. He proves that he is, in fact, deity. And the fact that he was deity, the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is God in the flesh, that gave Paul all the reason in the world to live a focused life, to live for the one that was nailed to a cross, put in a tomb. This earthly king put his little signet ring there, trying to seal the tomb, and had a guard put there, trying to keep him in the grave. But that didn't matter because Jesus took his life back up. In that resurrection by power of Jesus Christ taking his life back up, standing up again after he was nailed to a cross and buried. That's what gives us all the evidence in the world that he's deity. And Paul said, you know what? That's enough for me because Jesus took his life back up after being nailed to a cross. I believe he's who he said that he is, so he's going to be the one that I follow. He's going to be the focus of my life. I'm going to be his servant. I'm going to be his apostle. I'm going to tell his story because I believe he's deity. And for you and I today, that means if we believe he's deity, we ought to serve him. It's like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I told you the, the word power there means the same word we get our word dynamite from. It's like the resurrection of Jesus is the dynamite that ought to blow all doubts away as to who Jesus is. To where we say he's the one, he's the Messiah, he's God in the flesh. Paul said that his life was focused on Jesus. That's what my life ought to be focused upon. That's who I ought to serve because he took his life back up. Paul lived a focused life because he viewed himself as a servant of Christ. He lived a focused life because of the resurrection of Jesus, proving to him that Jesus, in fact, was deity but I want to close by, by saying this. I think Paul also lived a focused life because he clearly understood he had a mission from God. There's no doubt in Paul's mind that he had a mission from God. Verse 5 through 7. Through whom? Through Jesus. Paul saying, we've received. He's talking about his own call to ministry. Paul saying, I've received the grace and the apostleship from God. Not that I deserved it, it's by His grace. He appointed me to be an apostle to the nations, to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. That word obedience, we, we get the idea of obedience meaning we got a bunch of man-made rules and the church has all these rules and we have to jump through all the hoops in order to be obedient. We turn it into a legalistic thing. That's not what it means at all. Obedience to the faith means this. You bring yourself underneath the gospel message. You bring yourself underneath believing that Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he did for you on the cross and you're believing in that plus nothing, minus nothing. That's how you bring yourself obedient to the faith. Paul said, my life is about this. God's called me. He's given me grace and apostleship to bring obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. 
including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, to kind of just boil that down, Paul is saying, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. I'm going to follow him. He extended a call to my life to go forth and spread the gospel message. I believe I have a mission from God, and I'm going to go do it. That's more or less to boil down what he's saying. Paul clearly felt like God had given him an assignment. God had had called him for a mission. And a lot of times I think we make this mistake. Oh, that's the Apostle Paul. Sure, Paul's got a mission. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Sure, he's got a mission. Remember who he was? He was hunting Christians down, being sure they were carried off to prison and killed. That's who he was. He met Jesus, and Jesus changed his life and changed his focus. And now Paul's living a focused life because he believes that God has given him a a mission. And Paul wants people to come to the grace of God. Paul wants people to experience peace in their life, to be joined back together with God because they were separated by their sin. And you see, it's not just Paul that has a mission. According to the Scriptures, if you know Christ as your Savior, if I know Christ as my Savior, if we belong to Him, we have a mission from God to fulfill. We'll show you three things and then we'll close. We're commanded, you and I are commanded to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Not just Paul, we are. Paul, as he writes this introduction to this letter, don't read over it too fast because it's really, really important. He's sharing a ton of stuff with us and with the Romans that he writes to about the focus of his life. Not only, Paul, we are also commanded to proclaim the gospel to the nations. The great commission, not just a suggestion, but a commandment that Jesus gave us. And Jesus came to them, his disciples, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In other words, Jesus said, go tell them and I'll help you do it. The reason we ought to do it is because Jesus is the King of the nations. Look at this next text. See, we're not making him king. He is king. Revelation says, And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. You see, he is the king of the nations. We just need to tell him. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Next thought. The mission that I'm talking about, the mission that Paul had, the call that he had on his life, the call that all of us have as believers to share the gospel message upon our our lives. You see, sometimes we don't do it because we're afraid we'll fail. Can I tell you something? The church is not going to fail. 
the mission of Christ will happen. Because we're told in these verses, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Notice this, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Later on in Revelation 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As I was studying this week, and I thought about the mission that God's given us as Christians and as the church, and I started reading those verses and understanding, you know what, our our mission will be a success. I sat at home as I studied and I cried. Because as I read about these around the throne from every nation, tribe, tongue, and, and languages, you know, you know what I thought about? I thought about those people that we heard from last week going to Africa. And I thought about a roof being put on a building out in the bush of Mozambique. Where people will come and hear about Jesus. Lynn was at the first service, Ken, but Ken, there's going to be some of those people sitting around the throne because you all went. Because of mission groups like Macedonia Missions. Other mission organizations through the Southern Baptist Convention. There's going to be people from Guatemala. Set around the throne because UTH cared enough to go. Because Jill's there this summer. See, our mission will succeed. And that's why it ought to be the focus of our life. We've got a successful mission that God's given us. I know I really slowed down because you might have thought, oh, you know, this is just a little greeting that Paul gives. It is a little greeting, but it's packed full of stuff that we need to pay attention to. Paul writes to these believers in Rome. He says, here's what my life's about. And here's what I'm going to be writing to you about. So this morning, can I ask you a question? How's the focus of your life? What's the focus of your life? Do you see yourself with the Apostle Paul as being a servant of Christ, an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Christ? Is that how you view yourself? This week, are you going to celebrate more being an American or being a Christian? Because our true freedom comes from Jesus and his blood shed on the cross. How do you view the focus of your life? 
Do you realize because Jesus is who he said he is, because he's divine, he proved it by taking his life back up, he's the one we ought to follow. That ought to be the focus of our life. What's the focus of your life? Will you view yourself as having a mission from God to tell others about Jesus? See, that happens not just on trips to Africa. That's a danger that you and I as Christians or our church can fall into to where we think, all right, yeah, that's a mission trip. We sent somebody to Africa or we sent somebody to Guatemala. Thank God for that. We should do it. But I've got news for you. You have lost family members. You have lost friends. You have lost coworkers. You have lost neighbors. You have lost people in the community that you live. There are people all around us that are part of the mission that God has given us. And we are all called to view ourselves like Paul viewed himself as a servant of Jesus, a representative of Jesus, with a mission to share the gospel. Wherever you are, let's pray. Father, God challenges us right now about the focus of our lives. Or those here who know without a doubt that Christ is their Savior. Speak to our hearts. Lord, if our, if our lives have been focused in a wrong way, if we have failed to see ourselves as your servants and your representative and your ambassador and, and we have your message to tell, God, just speak to our hearts and give us clarity right now in our, in our lives and help us to have the right focus that we ought to have. God, as I think about our, our nation, Lord, I, I pray for those in harm's way. I pray for those who have shed their blood in order that we might have the freedoms that we have in America. And I pray that you protect our, our soldiers. And, and I thank you for the freedom that we have, Lord, even to come and worship here in America. But God, I see those freedoms slipping. And God, I, God, I pray for our nation. God, we have on our currency in God we trust, but we don't act like we really do much. God, change the focus of our nation. Father, I pray for anyone here today that may not know Christ as their Savior. Your word tells us we've all sinned, we all fall short. Your word tells us that none of us are righteous, none of us are good. And that's why you and your righteousness sent your son to do what we could not do. You sent your son in our place to be our substitute, to pay for our sins. So that through faith in his blood, in his resurrection, we can have everlasting life. The Father, someone here today that doesn't know that. They've never trusted in Jesus. Help them right now to believe. Call them to yourself. God, tear down the excuses of anyone that might be thinking, I, I'm too bad, I've done too much wrong in my life to, to serve God. Remind them of the Apostle Paul, 
who consented to the murder of Christians. God, you called him and you call us. Change our focus. Help us to serve you better. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.